Hey gang, just a quick heads up before we get started. This week's podcast does contain some pretty heavy spoilers for attractions such as obviously Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, but also Star Wars Rise of the Resistance and SeaWorld Antarctica Empire of the Penguin. So if you haven't been on any of those incredible attractions and want to remain spoiler free, feel free to skip this week's episode and join us next week when we talk about Tangled the Series. Other than that, enjoy! Actually, if you haven't been on Antarctica, you're not missing anything. First into a world where mouse rules apply. Goofy, pay attention! Here, anything can happen! <laughs> Twisters are a breeze! <laughs> One thing you can expect, a smooth ride on my train! Wow! Now open at Walt Disney World Resort. podcast without a cool acronym the podcast where we review disney television animation rides yeah i guess so i'm Jayla deroshay your host joining me on the podcast today via zoom you know her from the twitter feed at underscore kim hanley and you also know her from her industrial controls and disney 101 series all the way from nashville tennessee ladies and gentlemen kim hanley hi everybody and you know him from the Twitter feed at Theme Park Horizons with no AR in the middle, so Theme PK Horizons. And from Theme Park Horizons on YouTube, all the way from Palm Beach, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, Christian Tomas! Hello, everybody. Alright, so today's a very special episode, um, because we're going to be doing something a little different here on the podcast. Instead of talking about a show or a movie, we're going to be talking about a ride. That's what I like to hear. And that ride is not Gadget's Go Coaster. <laughs> much, much to the disappointment of everyone listening, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously it's a storied history with Gadget's Go Coaster. Like, um, Gadget built a roller coaster in her spare time, I guess. I waited an hour for that thing and I completely regret it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, it's basically the same ride as, like, the Barnstormer. Although I will say, it does get some points in my book for having some uh, halfway decent fake terrain usage. Because that's normally something you don't get. Oh, especially on a kiddie coaster, yeah. Right. But, I mean, it's going to be nice for Toontown to have another ride in addition to Roger Rabbit soon. It's been kind of hard for um, Disney animated shows to get permanent theme park representation. The most that they often get is... A temporary overlay of something or you know the world showcase adventure where we've had kim possible and phineas and ferb and now ducktales i remember they did a meet and greet for phineas and ferb at hollywood studios a few years back yes they had a meet and greet with phineas and ferb and they had a uh a ducky momo over there that was like a hard <laughs> like like i don't know if it was plastic or metal but it was like i'm like that should be a plush that should be soft <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I I got um, Phineas and Ferb to autograph a replica of the poster for their greatest coaster ever. Oh my god, that's nice. you have that. Yeah, I I got a picture of the 
one from the show and I blew it up to poster size and then I got them to <laughs> autograph That's it. Amazing. That is smart. <laughs> uh, and it was like right before they ended that meet and greet too. So I was super glad that I, I worked up the motivation to get it done because it was like, it was one of those like, this will be fantastic to have. You, you still have it, right? Oh yeah. That yeah, is I've, a really I've, cool. I like doing stuff like that. I've got that. And then I made a replica of um, Scrooge McDuck's number one dime. And I got him to autograph the do- the glass dome that sits over top of it, and that sits on my desk at work. That's awesome. Um, so I, I, that's that's my thing. I like to do is make stuff like that, and then get them to sign it. So it's kind of a miracle that we ended up getting Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, a ride based on shorts that have aired exclusively on television. They haven't been that like there haven't been any of those on the big screen or anything, unless you count the the theater that they play them in at Hollywood studios where they have the one that's kind of a compilation of a bunch of them, but that doesn't count. (laughs) Vacation fun. Yes. Which is a fun little short. I like the ending. It's it's kind of a clip show, but I really love how they tie them all together and have the the ending where they go to Disney world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a good use of that space too, because it's always been a little kind of hit or miss. But for anyone who hasn't seen the shorts, that's a good way to kind of set the tone before the ride or after the ride, right? They've kind of like, okay, what the heck is the deal with these shorts? They can actually go watch some and kind of get a a feel for the vibe of the cartoon. So I think that was kind of a smart move. Because I think the other thing, and we've talked about this before on the podcast uh, with my friends from Channel KRT, Mickey for so long, and also um, our, our friend Ava Moss, um, Mickey for so long had become kind of this sanitized mascot character. At best, a mascot, at worst, like a logo. And this Mickey from these shorts is not that. Yeah, 100%, 100% agree. That was definitely, um, I've made similar comments that he had become a logo, right? He's on the letterhead, he's on all the business cards, he's on all the merchandise, and it, you have to kind of protect that because it's an icon now. Um, so by redoing the art style and stepping away from it, you give the, the company the chance to keep their branding stamp, um, but give the animators room to you know, work with the character, give them something new to do and, and reinvigorate re, uh, him as a person, quote unquote, um, instead of strictly just being that... Um, figurehead that he sort of fell into through the 90s and 2000s absolutely uh, and a lot of that is obviously owed to the animation company mercury filmworks out in canada that does just incredible work um they've also done animation for hilda and the tangled series and they did season one of star versus the forces of evil just they do awesome awesome stuff um and of course they had the opportunity to work on a ride here, which is something that they wouldn't normally get to do. And that's really cool. The other thing that's kind of interesting is that this was sort of a long time coming. Like all the people that are, you know, still depressed that Great Movie Ride is gone. I understand, <laughs> I miss Great Movie Ride too, but the writing has been on the wall for so long that that ride was not gonna last. Yeah, that, that ride was really outdated for what its technology was like. I love the scenes. Those scenes in, in that ride were some of the best dark ride scenes I've ever 
ridden through in a theme park but the actual like technology and stuff it, it was just really outdated and it really needed updating which is why disney imagineering decided well let's throw mickey into the mix yeah i mean I, I think the biggest problem with great movie ride was that by the time that they would have actually started updating anything they kind of realized oh we don't need to really update stuff anymore because we actually have our own um hit movies to work off of again so let's let's focus on doing different live shows here at hollywood studios and you know other meet and greets and kind of smaller attractions because again it's what the time was mgm now hollywood studios you know it it was a park that kind of struggled to find this identity because it was created in a really weird time in disney history when they didn't really know what their next hit was going to be and especially with the competition with Universal, they kind of rushed that park to get it done, to uh, get it on par with Universal Studios, which is opening in, I think, 1990. Yeah, Hollywood Studios. Oh, I see, I'm used to actually calling it Hollywood Studios, but MGM Studios opened in 1989. Okay, so and, one year before, yeah. Yeah, one year before. And it had two rides. It had the Great Movie Ride and the Backlot Studio Tour. And then everyone wanted more rides, and then they added Rock and Roller Coaster, Tower of Terror, all that good stuff. Well, I know Star Tours was being planned and was under construction when the park opened, so that was going to always be there. It just didn't open with the park. Yeah, that's um, the... Disney went... They, like... I don't necessarily blame them for doing it, but they went into this sort of men- mindset of if we can do everything that everybody else does close enough ish will get everybody to just stay at disney um you know like animal kingdom was sort of the answer to sea world and bush gardens and the you know the parks that have their safari attachments and then um hollywood studios was to sort of cancel out universal which was opening up right around the same time like there's just this um like if we can give people ish of everything else they'll just stick with disney because of the branding um and it's generally worked pretty well right everybody knows about the disney bubble everybody you know Mm -hmm. you come into the bubble and you don't leave um it's not as foolproof as it used to be but um it definitely did the job for a long time especially nowadays with harry potter but yeah following that line through it's like why build a california theme park in california well, so the people don't have to leave Disneyland Resort to explore the rest of California. We'll bring the rest of California here. Also known as Marvel uh, and Incredibles Roller Coaster and Monsters, Inc. Really California to me. And the Good Flight Simulator. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> That's the only actual. Well, and the, the whole Grizzly Peak area is actually really well done. I, I you love gotta that give Honestly, I, D- DCA is such a hot mess of a park, but I, I love it. That, love that park is such a hot mess, but honestly, I've, I've been there for two days in my entire life, but honestly, from what, I, from what I recall, that is one of my favorite Disney parks just based off the attractions alone. I am a diehard Cars fan, so you can believe me when I say that Radiator Springs Racers is one of my favorites. That's such a great ride, and I love Mission Breakout, and one, one of the main criticisms of uh, Paradise Pier is that it's like, oh, well, this kind of stuff would feel more at home at a Six Flags. I'm like, well, at the very least, Magic Mountain wishes it had this many flat rides. <laughs> or just theming in general. <laughs> yeah, or just theming in general. 
or just you know even having see see it and i literally just did a whole video about this but magic mountain it's like okay on one hand you have really awesome parts of the park that are built around terrain and then you also have parking lot roller coaster scream uh but back to the great movie ride it had been like i said it had been kind of rumored for a long time that the great movie ride was going to get replaced with something and some of the rumors included like a disney villains ride or the great mickey ride and none of those ever seemed to pan out and then finally in 2017 they killed both traveling theater rides <laughs> so like yep on, Energy on, on the same day right on, on august 13th day. on the august same day. 13th 2017 yeah i wow what a day <laughs> Yes, they killed Ellen's energy adventure and they killed the great movie ride. Ellen broke down on the last ride. No more. I so wish I had been on that last ride of Universe of Energy. They let them walk around the sets. That is so cool. So, Kim, you actually worked on Runaway Railway. So tell us a little bit about that and what that was like. Um it was it was a very interesting experience. I worked on um a small part of the attraction. I wasn't full time on it like some of the other people were. Um, I helped with the implementation of the pre-show in the the little theater, and all the bits and bobs that went into that. Um, but it was it was a cool experience. It was a little bit tough um, because uh, you had mentioned that there was a, you know a lot of um, great movie ride kind of diehards that were very they were coming into it with a certain amount of animosity. Um, and as it was sort of my first blue sky attraction, I was very kind of protective of my baby. Um, <laughs> so there, there was a little bit of friction there when people were just before it had even opened, nobody had seen it yet. And there was already like, Oh, it's going to be terrible. It's over. And I'm just like, you haven't even seen it. Like I promise it's going to be good. Um, you know, I was one of, one of my favorite stories from early on in the project I was at, um, Disney Springs in the Art of Disney store, uh, just chit-chatting with one of the cast members that works there, and uh, Great Movie Ride comes up, and they're talking about how it's the just absolutely unacceptable and atrocious, and it's, you know, the people who are demolishing that ride should be ashamed of themselves that they would remove it, like, really just laying into it hard, and then they asked where I worked at Disney, and I was just like, uh, i on the team that's demolishing the great movie ride. And they got so pale in, in that moment, just that look of like, oh, hi. <laughs> like, it was just, it was very, very awkward. And I was just like, yep, that's, that's uh. um, But that's why I always ask people where they work before you start trashing different so attractions. Where, so where do you make magic? Oh, yeah. Rhymeable World? Yeah, I love that ride. It's so, it's so much fun. It's a classic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that that was a fun thing. But just the, you know, like I said, I worked on the sort of the pre-show section of it. I was in, on the show control team, so we were coordinating the effects. So like the, the screen lift and the fog and the blowout um if you've actually seen it either in person or on youtube <laughs> there's a few different bits of moving equipment involved in pulling that effect off um and some safety systems and things for making sure guests don't do anything too troublesome <laughs> um so that that was all something that i was involved in there was a couple of us working on it and then um 
yeah, like just I was there opening day um, when the attraction opened up as a guest to ride it. My parents came down um, for opening day to like see Kim's first ride open. And <laughs> it was just a really special day to get like my friends and my family. And we were all there. We got to ride it first thing in the morning. Um, we all had like matching shirts and stuff. It was just a good time. Um, but it, it was, it was really neat. It opened on my birthday. So I was so excited about that. Uh, I was there on opening day as well. I got to ride it like four times on opening day because it was not a very busy day. And that ride was just chugging along until it finally did go down for a little bit, but it came back up later in the day and it seemed to run for the rest of the day, I think. Um, yeah, kind of a bummer though, that the that really awesome pre-show that you worked so hard on is not being used right now because obviously. Yeah, that, that was when the when the parks were originally getting ready to open back up, that was something that was being discussed. And they're like, we, we just, you can't, like, you got to just push them through. And I was like, ah, but they're going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, like, I think it's a lot of fun. I think the pre-show really um, pulls you in to it, right? Like it, it set, sets the tone nice and it has a really neat sort of mix of the animation and physical effects, which you know, that's what you get on the ride itself. So it immediately kind of sets that expectation of, you know, you're not just watching screens, there's more to it. Um, so yeah. I think that was like, that was a smart move to design it that way. And it, it annoys me when people ride off front of our railways. Oh, it's just screens. I'm like, no, it's not. There's animatronics on this thing. There's moving parts. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Isn't there like 70 hidden Mickeys in that ride or something like that? Something there's like- a ton. Yeah, um, there's- a lot one one of the ones that i'm personally a big fan of um in the theater for the pre-show like obviously that's the part that i know like the back of my hand um if you look up at the light fixture it has um what was it it has uh mickey mouse in mandarin as part of the light (laughs) fixture and it's one of those ones that'd be like super easy to to just gloss over um (laughs) But that's because it's the Chinese theater, so it's in uh, Mandarin. It's just neat. I like that one. That's my favorite one. I also have to wonder what they're going to do, because, of course, they're cloning Runaway Railway to Toontown in California. Um, and it, the the ride there is supposed to take place at the El Capitoon. But I'm like, okay, so are we, like, going a layer deeper? Because I thought we were already in the cartoon world. Is this, like... Uh, is this like an inception kind of deal or what yeah i'm wondering how they're going to do the pre-show for that because you're technically already in the world of mickey so there's no point to go into the you know blow up theater room again except i mean the obvious contrast between the the fake cartoon world that's <laughs> toontown and what you see on the ride mm-hmm. that is true yeah so i'm not sure how they're going to pull that off um so yeah then, then of course um after the pre-show where mickey and minnie are heading off to their picnic and um the the pie gets stuck in the smokestack for the train goofy pulls into the barn and then it explodes and that's when the screen opens up and you go into the barn and you get on the train I love those ride vehicles so much. I love the ride vehicles. It's and I love how 
you know, of course, at first it looks like, oh, you're on a, tr it kind of looks like you're on a track and yeah. it's going to be a regular dark ride, but then the the vehicles shuffle and move positions all over the place. It's it's such a cool use of the trackless system. It's easily um, the best use of trackless technology I've ever seen in a theme park for me. Yeah, I would say even better than Rise of the Resistance. Definitely. As much as I love Rise of the Resistance, I think Runaway Railway takes more advantage of mm -hmm. the trackless system to move in different directions that you wouldn't be able to with a rail. Yeah, and especially like with the with the actual like train car, like with Goofy, like the way they incorporate that with the trackless technology and like leaving the tunnel and then coming back in at the end, seamless, like really well that. done. So cool. Yeah, the um, rise and runaway road. The, it's obviously very easy to make the comparison between the two. Um, both trackless, they both opened relatively close to each other. Um, things like that. The underlying control systems are actually very different from each other for the two attractions, and um, that's partly why they feel a bit different. In terms of how the vehicles move and stuff like that, the um, not to disparage one over the other or anything of that sort, um, but the the systems that were implemented because different teams run in different projects, blah blah blah, um, they took a different approach to the system that actually physically moves the vehicles in the space and maintains their kind of positioning on the track list, um, and it led to different different kinds of mobility being available to them uh, depending on their needs and stuff because obviously with rise they had to be able to work with that lift system to change floors and stuff um and so that required the vehicles to have certain constraints that uh railway didn't have to worry about because it's all they only have to worry about the tip for the waterfall uh, which yeah. again yeah like you have to the vehicles have to be designed differently to accommodate those kinds of secondary systems. Um, so you get different kinds of restrictions and limitations on what you can and can't get away with. Um, you know, even just like everybody says they should have gone around the tornado. Why don't they go around the tornado? That was a physical constraint of the building there. Mm -hmm. They just could, they physically couldn't go around the tornado. It looks like they should be able to, um, but there's just not enough space to There's do it. Space for do you know what's on the other side of that room? Like, why couldn't they expand it? Like, is it another scene? Like the uh, Wild West? Uh, I forget what the exact... Um, Probably just, what, like, maintenance or something. Yeah, I, th I think it was, it was either that or it's the um, pathway that the goofy engines take to meet you mm. on the other side yeah something uh, that to that effect. Right. um but just the way the walls wound up having to sit they just ran out of space to safely circum uh circumnavigate the tornado so they had to just go around the one side it was one of those things where there's they, they wanted it and they just couldn't make it happen safely with tra the trackless system as it currently exists so they had to just do the one it's things like that what eventually the trackless technology will get even better than it already is and they'll be able to do even more precise movements than they currently can um and we'll get to those kinds of things but well i say we um <laughs> but just in general um that system is it's always evolving right ride systems are always 
iterating and trying to find something better and something, you know, reinvent the mousetrap into something new and better. Um, and I think eventually that technology will get to the point where they can do like ultra precise movements. They're already pretty good. You know, the dance, uh, the dance hall routine is not too shabby, right? That, that vehicle's <laughs> got some shimmy to it. Um, I love that. <laughs> that is the most aggressive section of a dark ride I've ever been on. <laughs> Such a contrast to Rise. Like most of Rise scenes are like, you know, pretty calm. And then you get to Daisy and you're like, whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. Dance party. <laughs> yeah, I have that stuck on my head every single time I get off that. Um, I love the the details in the the amusement park scene where there's like the sign for the great moving ride. Mm-hmm. And if you look, you see um, Huey, Dewey and Louie walking around. I think there's a potato land sign in the back left corner. <laughs> of course there has to be. Yeah. Um, they, they made sure to slip in as many Easter eggs as they realistically could. Like they squeezed them in all over the place. Um, just trying to, you know, it, it's sort of a Disney staple, right? We try to work in little nods and references and easter eggs and stuff i mean what's great about the way that the ride is designed and this is kind of similar to what they had to do for roger rabbit's cartoon spin when they were thinking about okay well we're gonna put the we're gonna put a teacup car on pinocchio's daring journey to kind of figure out okay well this is how we're looking at a normal dark ride what do we have to do differently for this ride where you can look in any possible direction I feel like even though you're directed looking forwards at any given moment, it still is very much a 360 degree environment that you're able to look around really easily by the nature of where the vehicles are. And there's, as a result, there's always going to be something new and different that you're going to notice each time you're riding, even if you've already been on the ride a bunch of times. I think that's really great. Yeah, definitely. Um, Even just, like be, with the way the vehicles rearrange and shift position and, and things, right. just riding it in a different car each time will get you a different experience because you come into scenes early in one vehicle and late in another and, um, you know, you leave last or you come in first and you get a very different kind of opportunity to look around and take in the scene. Um, it's worth getting into the volcano mm-hmm. scene late to be able to see the entire underwater scene, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with the octopus with the saxophone everybody loves that octopus I, I've, had, <laughs> I've, I've had uh like at least i can think off the top of my head a handful of people that explicitly mentioned that octopus as like a highlight for them and i was like really <laughs> of all the things i like i like the pluto storyline that's my personal favorite highlight mm-hmm. of that oh yes pluto with the picnic basket <laughs> his little subplot Mm, there's like three plots going on in that ride it's it's, it's crazy there's mm-hmm. a goofy plot there's a mickey and Minnie, and then there's pluto <laughs> see if this was see and this is kind of a tangent but if they did um if they did what i want them to do with pirates of the caribbean and changed it back most of the way to where the dialogue is you know what it was before you can still keep if you want to keep jack sparrow in the ride fine but why is everyone in the ride talking about him it's like he's a mary sue in a bad fanfic <laughs> yeah I, I feel like both the nature of the the ride and sort of the character he's more of a like you know that whole um 
you're the worst pirate I've ever heard of, but you have heard of me. It's not exactly a popular guy. Um, so having him be sort of in the background of the attraction and like every once in a while a line pops in or something but not dominating it would have made more sense that's what's so annoying is it's like why does carlos give a shit about jack sparrow what it's so it's like oh well, captain jack sparrow will never find this key it's like why are you all to... whenever whenever poochie is not on screen everybody needs to be asking where is poochie uh, I think, and it's interesting because you go through the history of um, of Disney dark rides, and they originally were really wary on trying to follow a character, and instead they kind of went with the idea of, oh well, no, you are the character. You're Peter Pan. You're Snow White, and that confused people. <laughs> so they went back and added these characters to a lot of these rides, and. Then we got to like the Indiana Jones adventure and that I think was the first ride where we really were able to follow a protagonist that wasn't ourselves through part of the ride, even though he's not really, he's kind of just in the beginning and in the end, but you know, that was kind of what changed things to where they, they felt more comfortable being able to do that. Old, old rides like uh, have that type of, narrative where like sorry not old rides like rides nowadays like they have that type of narrative where you are the character and i guess mickey and minnie's kind of falls under that category and like i mean rise smugglers run that's for sure um i uh toy story mania in a sense rock and roller coaster you're you're in the limo i guess going to the, the second person narrative where you've stepped into the story and you're along for the ride. Yeah, and I, I think that's a smart shift overall. Like, the classic attractions, um, as you said, you're basically the characters in the story or you're watching the story kind of diorama style. Um, those were, I mean, they're great. They're classics. They're, they're still around for a reason, right? Um, but being able to sort of elevate take take the experience up a step by making you a part of it instead of just being an observer like even haunted mansion you're not really in the story right you're just kind of passing through the story as it plays out around you um that's sort of the nature of being an omni mover um but now we're able to really sort of dig deeper into attractions as a storytelling medium and i think especially pushing forward you're going to see more and more attractions that are in the vein of railway and rise and think where they're telling either stories that are adjacent to an intellectual property sort of you know like rise does or wholly original stories that are supplemental to whatever sort of canon they've established um and using that as a you know sort of you have movie tvs and books are sort of your three traditional streams for canon of a property or a universe right. or a world or whatever you want to say. and i think the push going forward long term is going to be attractions as a fourth stream um it's tough because attractions don't have a lot of turnover 
um, by nature, they're built not to change very often. Um, you know, we're supposed to build them and run them for 50 years, um, which makes it a little bit tough. But I think as the technology keeps evolving, we'll be able to make attractions more dynamic as a result. And they'll be, instead of having to refurb, revamp, reskin, retheme, you know, all that kind of big overhaul kind of work, we'll be able to do incremental changes to attractions to, um, you know, like Smuggler's Run, getting new missions loaded on there Please. is something that's practical, um, that's practical now that wasn't practical before. Um, right. If it, if they had built it 10, 15 years ago, it, you would have only ever had the one mission and that's it forever. Um, but now it's much more realistic to implement more of them. Um, I think I feel like the whole COVID thing may have derailed that plan. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, um, you know, it, spending money is sort of a taboo at the moment. Um, you could say but that. Mission, mission, multiple missions and things were something that was always sort of envisioned with that attraction. That was going to be, um, like I, the the entire cockpit is functional, right? Like if you've been on Smuggler's Run, there's a handful of controls that you use for the mission that exists there, as is, right? You like each of the stations has like six buttons that you use. Um, but in total, the cockpit has like 123 interactable controls, wow. and all of them are functional. Wow, like all of those little switches and everything, they, they all work? Yeah, they don't do anything at the moment because they're not utilized for the mission that you run, but they're all functional. So if they make a new mission that needs eight buttons instead of six, they're all there. They're already working. Like you can, all the toggles and buttons and switches and, and everything that's in there is already a functional control. It's just not used. Um, so they were, they were planning ahead. They just didn't, they just haven't used them for anything. I mean, I love if, that if, ride, so that excites me to no end. <laughs> I mean, if they already have the ride video done for all those new scenes, then all they really need to do is do the, the simulator movements, right? And like the button programming. Yeah, I don't. I I'm not sure where the sort of bottleneck is on that. I think um, the motion profile is a part of it, and getting the like the graphics done is yeah. a thing. Because I like with Midway Mania, originally they had planned to have changing out of the Midway games. But they abandoned it because they had, you, if assuming the version of events that I heard is accurate, because I wasn't around at the time that it was actually done, um, they had contracted an outside company to do the game part of the game. Um, and for whatever reason, whether it was like cost or the relationship or whatever, they decided it wasn't worth going back to them to get them to do more games. Um, so they just stuck with what they had with smugglers run. It's much more shifted in house. Um, but I think they still have an external company doing the actual graphic package. Um, so it may or may not be the, you know, same thing as last time where they just kind of went, eh, you know, we th thanks for the one, but we'll see you later. Kind of a thing. I don't know. I've, 
<laughs> that's speculation on my part. You know, it's interesting because Star Wars originally was supposed to have multiple destinations and then they ended up just going with the one. And then finally, when they did the revamp, they had it with the, the kind of randomized slot machine approach. Um, but I, I really love the idea of having a different mission on Smuggler's Run because it's actually interactive. Mm-hmm. I, I really hope they do um, eventually circle back to that and, and get them implemented because it, it really kind of favors it, that kind of an approach, having multiple missions. And um, there was a rumor strictly a rumor i don't know for sure if it's true or not it's just all um you know work scuttlebutt um but the system was originally going to be designed so that um you know how it automatically reads your magic bands to know whether you're like repeat pilots or repeat riders um it was going to use your the average performance of the people in the vehicle to determine which mission you get. So like if you're all brand new people, um, it would give you the starter mission that everybody's gotten used to now. Um, and if you're had like a cockpit of people who've done it a few times, it would give you one of the harder missions to try. I love, um, I love that so much. Oh my God. That would make it one of the best rides at studios for me, honestly. Yeah, because yeah. it, it makes it sort of adaptive. So if you have a cockpit of people that are really good at it, the attraction, like they've been done it a whole bunch and they've tried a bunch of missions and they're really good, they'll get more difficult missions. And if you have new people, they get the starter mission that's a little more on wheels. So that way they can still have a good time without being overwhelmed by, you know, 30 buttons to push and all this <laughs> other kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but again, that was just sort of scuttlebutt. Um, but it'd be, I, I feel like that would be really, really cool if they actually wound up making that happen. Because that would like that's pretty much the best way to do it. That's the sort of what that whole um, scoring system feels like it would be useful for. Um, you know, because that and the the idea that it's supposed to follow you through the land, right? The different store vendors and the mm-hmm. in the cantina and things like that they're supposed to be able to see your status in the sort of the mini games and stuff and react accordingly so having it the the ability for it to be adaptive like that feels like a logical step to take um but who knows <laughs> it's you know how things go people are they you hear something like oh that sounds amazing and then it never happens and yeah. then somebody pitches something and you're like that sounds like a really bad idea and it is Im- immediately what happens you're just like no yeah i really hope we get to see more with the the interactivity in galaxy's edge because right now it's kind of like well yeah it's there and it kind of works like there's some things like i mean the stormtroopers can tell what kind of droid chip you have and stuff like that which is really cool but I, I think there's so much more that they're going to be able to do with all of that. Um, and I, I think that's the thing with Galaxy's Edge is it's kind of just this really cool creative sandbox for Imagineering to be able to test new stuff out in. Like droids? Yes. <laughs> Roaming droids when... <laughs> Never. Yeah, I, I think... Um... Well, we had push for the longest time. How is that any different? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I miss push. Um, I think the the Star Cruiser Resort is going to be an interesting thing to see. Like, 
it the pricing of it and stuff is a little unfortunate because it makes it a somewhat exclusive um you know you're basically paying for like a cruise yeah and with kind of the price point that it is but then again it is it's a space cruise that's the, like the how it's themed um yeah but the interactives and walk around characters and immersive you know couple like you're it's basically a star wars larp yeah but meant for regular people like regular people sounds bad because like larpers are normal people too but sort of like LARPers not cool. not that crowd right like it's it's meant to be the general a, public it's yeah it's accessible yeah, it's it's meant to be approachable for people who, if you s said the word LARP, they would ask if you like, do you need a glass of water? Are you choking on something? Um, <laughs> you know, it, so it's it'll be interesting to see how that works. If it works, um, you know, are people going to buy into? Okay, I'm a character in Star Wars for the next two days, or is it going to be very? Um, where is it going to be the kind of thing where the kids buy in and the parents are just like, leave me alone? He, play with the nine-year-old move along like I, I, i'm I just really it. curious to see how it goes <laughs> look if the parent willing to show all the cash to go stay there is going to be all in on it you know yeah, that's what i was going to say exactly i have to wonder if that's why it maybe has the price point that it has because it's like we don't want people who are not going to be fully into invested it. yeah they want like they if you're going to pay like if you're going to go to this hotel and you want to act you got to pay and we're only going to let you guys in like that's how they're taking that approach, I guess. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. But it's I, funny. It's funny to think about how, meanwhile, at Disneyland, it's like, what's in that spot? Um, oh, the Days in Caddy Corner from Galaxy's Edge, I guess. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Where <no>. I stayed. <laughs> like, yeah, they can't really do anything like that in California. They really have no space there. <laughs> they don't, and yet they somehow manage to find new places to build things where they don't have to close anything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, they they really try other hard. Than, other to, than to Bugs Land, but you know that's no that, that, that's you know nobody cared about that. They <laughs> they, they want to build Mickey and Minnie's. <laughs> Sorry, backstage space, you're gonna have to go. Yeah, they're gonna have to build a third gate in California at some point. Yeah, but where? <laughs> they have that strawberry field that's like not that far away. I don't know. Maybe I mean. I don't know. Wait for more of those businesses around Harbor Boulevard <laughs> to fold. Let's I know see. there was there was rumors at one point of them working out a deal with the baseball team to do some like land exchanging shenanigans. Um, it hasn't materialized, obviously, but that, I remember hearing that rumor at one point. Um, that they were going to try to finagle something where it freed up a, a bunch of contiguous land that they could build a third gate on, but yeah, because we like... in our, in our desperation for more Disney, uh, the fandom has a tendency to just sort of make things up as they go and just like, yeah. wouldn't it be great if that happened? It's like, yeah, but realistically, oof. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine in the alternate universe, uh, like in an alternate parallel universe where um, Disney ended up buying Knott's Berry Farm, there's like a monorail connecting Disneyland to Buena Park? That would be the greatest resort ever, <laughs> especially with the coasters there. I mean, 
that's a different approach for Disney, Disney, but but if Disney had bought knots, we definitely would not have accelerator or hang time or anything like that. So which means that in that in that universe, maybe there's not even a top thrill dragster. We don't know. Long ago, in a faraway land, there was a prosperous studio run by a middle-aged CEO. In an era of princesses and flashy musical numbers, the studio decided to go in a different direction, and thus their most unique creation was born, and they called it The Emperor's New Groove. But The Emperor's New Groove is more than just one movie. There's an entire expanded Grooviverse out there, and I intend to explore it all on The Emperor's New Podcast. Hi, I'm Micah Hirsch, and I'll be your host on this whimsical journey as I'm joined by special guests to discuss every corner of this underrated franchise, from movies to television to theme parks. You can hear all about it on The Emperor's New Podcast, available on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Be sure to stop by and give it a listen, and remember, beware the groove! Um, back to Runaway Railway. It's a podcast, you can edit around it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, and I think I froze for a second there. Yeah. Um, tangents, tangents are fun. You, my internet connection is unstable. Okay, thank you for telling me that. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the, another thing I really love about Runaway Railway is the way that they have um, the sets changed, specifically in the volcano slash undersea scene, and then also um, the, the factory scene. The way that that transforms is so cool. I, I still... It's like, how did they figure this out? It's amazing. I mean, it took them, what, like five years, but yeah. eventually they did. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's like a, it's like an elaborate pop-up book with projections where it's like everything is precise. Yeah, are those like inflatables or something? Like, how, what is it? Because Gen- like, they- Generally, it's mechanical. Like, it's actually things that are folding and act and like folding down, folding out, pulling up. Um, like it's it's moving parts and pieces. Um, yeah, but like some some of the things like in there, like the carousel transforming to, uh, or some something transforming to a merry-go-round or like a fountain or something. Like it looks so plushy and like springy, like like the material it's made out of. I don't I don't know. It's it's doesn't look mechanical. That's the thing. The way they did that, and it like to make it seem so Mickey Mouse like like that's they did a really good job. Yeah, I mean, just the way everything everything looks so good. Um, you know, I, I love the I love the city sequence where you got again so, tons of details, including I think my favorite one is uh, Donald driving the truck. I like Pete. The animatronic's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, Pete's on the on the jackhammer. Mm-hmm. On the jackhammer. The way I love how the ride vehicle shakes there. That is so good. Like just the just those small details in that ride, like everything adds up. Like the jackhammering to the discoing. Like I don't know why why, but that is the most synced up sequence I have ever like in terms of like body movement and how like oh my god, they amazing. And then obviously the ending with the factory. Yeah, that's um one one thing that I wish Rise had is like that sort of subtle shimmy that it the vehicle does to the jackhammer. Um in Rise when you get to the cannon battery yeah. and they fire and retract, that recoil, I feel like that should like give your vehicle a little shimmy. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't. And that's like the one little detail that I feel like is sort of missing out of that is it when that gun fires off and it when it recoils back a couple of feet, your vehicle should just do that little just just not not even a whole lot, just that little vibrate just from the recoil of the gun backing up and then you move it like it, it's that those little itty bitty details that really pull you into the moment. Um I think they could probably do that eventually, but I think the problem is right now, they've already been having so many problems with that scene in particular. Like you notice now when you ride that the the gun will fire and then it'll stay put for the rest of the scene while you're while you're moving past them. Are those guns trackless or like are they on like a mechanical thing? Like I honestly don't know. Because the like they are really fast, so I mean I, I get why they keep breaking down. They're very fluent and well, obviously they, those have to talk to the ride vehicles and be like, this yeah. is the exact position that I'm in. Mm-hmm. You know, it all it all syncs up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably the most physical uh, part of the ride. I mean, I can't really, I mean, I guess like the drop track and the simulator, obviously, but like um, in terms of like sets and stuff, like that is the most like moving pieces that like, I guess maybe... Maybe like the panels uh, flopping down in the first Stormtrooper scene, the way they do that's pretty cool. Yeah. I always love seeing how they do that. Like, I've seen some videos, like, behind the scenes. It rise. Uh, the, one, the one thing I've seen people compare a lot is the, the Kylo Ren scene. To at Daisy. The dan- <laughs> to the Daisy dance scene. I, I, I literally put the Kylo Ren audio over Daisy in my editor <laughs> one day. It was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, you will tell me the location are, of the Resistance base. There are both trackless rides, so there will be some moments like that where it's like, oh, this is kind of similar a little bit. Um, speaking of trackless rides, it's kind of funny just to think that, yeah, the first trackless dark ride in anywhere in North America, because of course overseas they've been getting them for a while. But the first one we got over here in the states was oh Antarctica: boy. Empire of the Penguin. We don't, we don't, we don't. No, God, <laughs> that is a mess. Yeah, and like the, the, it's so, so, it's so funny that they went all in on retheming this whole area with the penguin encounter, and making it way nicer but then anchoring it with a really crappy ride it's so short too like yeah i i it, i'm like oh yeah all right the ride's just starting oh and here's the exit platform all right it's funny because glacial collections was my home store when i worked in merchandise at SeaWorld, and you know, people would ask me for recommendations of like. Well, you didn't say Antarctica. I'm not. I'm not recommending Antarctica because it's just not really worth your time unless you really want to see the penguins because the penguins are cool. Because penguins are cool. I do like the reveal at the end of the ride, like how the vehicles I think that's turn. Really cool, and I really like being able to be in the room with the penguins. But. And the whole thing about the mild and wild, like, that like come on. A, it's like that. It's no. There's no. I think the only difference is like one extra spin. <laughs> like I don't really. They're practically the same thing. I guess it, what it's probably just like to differentiate the the queue line crowds into like different uh, 
pre-show rooms, honestly. They're, they're, one of them has motion, the other one doesn't. That's the thing is, it's like you have these motion vehicles, but they barely move. And like, honestly, I don't think you need the motion based on a trackless ride if you're doing it right, because you have such a free range of motion already. Um, but I think I think Beauty and the Beast actually. Yeah, and, and Ratatouille, I'm pretty sure. Ra- Ratatouille has that? I'm pretty sure, yeah. But does Ratatouille have a height requirement? I don't think I uh, I know Mickey Minis does not, and I know Rise is yeah, forty. Mickey Minis does not because it's just a bench seat with a single position lap bar. Yet it's still more aggressive than Rise. <laughs> well, with the exception of that drop, and that's the whole reason why Rise is a high yeah. requirement is because of that drop. I mean, you know, it has a high requirement if it's got a seat belt. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is it's kind of got to have a high requirement if there's a seat belt because the if there's a kid under 40 inches they're not going to be able to sit in that seat correctly mm-hmm. it's just it's honestly just rider dimensions more than anything mm-hmm. that's why it's kind of interesting that like um speaking of trackless dark rides kong and fast and the furious have height requirements on their standalone attractions but obviously the studio tour in hollywood doesn't because it's like well yeah you can bring your infant with you on the studio tour because who cares Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Kong has the same height requirement as Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, which is so unnecessary. Like, that ride should have an age requirement. That thing is scary for little kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. It's like a 38-inch height requirement. So it's the yeah. Same. Oh, yeah, 38. Yeah, yeah. Mine Train. It's honestly the same thing as something like Alien Encounter, where it's like, okay, people are not going to be prepared for that queue. Yeah, and the crazy I mean, thing it's is, a little, it's a little easier to, and the reason why it's been able to stay is because it's at Islands of Adventure instead of at Magic Kingdom. But Magic Kingdom, they sure learned their lesson there. <laughs> Speaking of Kong, Fast and Furious, Fast and Furious has a higher height requirement than oh, Kong. Right. Yeah, by like, I think yeah, Fast and Furious is 40. I mean, maybe they lowered it, but I'm pretty sure it's 40. I'm guessing. Why? I, I exactly like, I'm trying to think of a reason. I'm guessing the hydraulics in the scene might be, or maybe like the smoke effects or for some reason. I don't know how that have to do with high requirement, but you have to be a little older to really appreciate the scantily clad dancers in that one scene. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that that's that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, such a dumb ride. I kept thinking there's no way it's just gonna be a clone of the, the studio tour because that'd be stupid. And then that's exactly what they did. I'm like you morons i'm literally making a video about replacing fast and furious for my youtube channel <laughs> it's gonna come out soon <laughs> yeah oh my god just why why i want they- the I-, I wish they would have done something like a radiator swings racers like oh or west so coast racers yeah Get a I mean, coaster. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know if you I know, know. I know the franchise isn't about street racing anymore, but that would still be a good ride. But fine, if you don't want it to be about street racing and you want it to be about the stupid action, then it should be more like Transformers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been a good approach. Yeah, it was definitely um, an unusual choice. The whole party I mean, bus being uh, motion based like i just it i mean it was probably just to save money to clone it from hollywood honestly that's exactly what it is and that's a few i love i love when people are like oh universal's wiping the floor with disney right now I'm like okay not so fast come on <laughs> not in 2018 that's for I, sure i 
the, the theme, the, the tribalism is so stupid because when they both do good things, everyone wins, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I get, to, to some extent, I kind of get it because Disney is such a all-consuming brand, right? With Between the parks, movies, shows, games, music, like, it's everywhere. It's, it's all-encompassing, and people build their whole identity around Disney, right? They're Disney people. They're a Disney family. Um, so it sort of becomes a bit more than just a theme park for people. Yeah. And then sort of as a byproduct of that is that people who enjoy Universal get very, very defensive of Universal because they're not Disney people. We're Universal people. Hmm. Um, it, it's sort of a, like, it's just sort of a side effect of um, needing to like stick up for your team. And hey, uh, I mean, I love both, you know. I think is I'm a theme park person, you know. I love Knott's Berry Farm. I want to go to Dollywood. I want to go to Silver Dollar City. I want to go to mm-hmm. Wood. I want to. I want to go to all these other places because they all have cool things to offer. Yeah, I mean, a, a great attraction is a win, mm-hmm. regardless of where it is. Like as long as you can physically get there. Which, if you live in Orlando, yes. Um, and you're not like, trespassed yes. indefinitely from the property like some people are trespassed indefinitely from Universal. Yeah. Not naming any names, but myself. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things like it, like you said, it's a win-win for us as theme park fans for them to just keep one-upping each other because the be- the be- it just gets us more great rides to go on. Um, the idea of like, I don't go to the park up the road is just bizarre to me. Like I never understood it. Um, But you know, whatever. Unless unless it's like a genuinely bad park, you know, like, uh, like if the operations are terrible, like, Mm -hmm. you know, six flags, but like, yeah, like (laughs) LaRonde, like six flags over Georgia. Imagine if your your home park was LaRonde, just like, I I would, I would move. (laughs) to Vaughn Canada and yeah. go ride Leviathan. Yes. I still have not been on a giga coaster yet. I'm planning oh. on fixing that this summer. Um yeah. I'm I'm gonna go to Cedar Point and probably Kings Island. I, I'm like come hell or high water. That is what I was, oh, that is what I'm doing this summer. <laughs> I want to go to Hollywood Nights this year. Yeah, if, I want to uh, go to that too. It's just I don't know how that's going to work with cuz my uh, school got pushed back three weeks because of Corona. So now the ending of school is in Hollywood nights. So it's like really complicated. So I don't really know if I'm going to be able to go anymore. Okay. Well, if we're not able to make it this year, then we should definitely try to go together next year. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, they'll probably be getting a new ride soon. So oh. hopefully a new coaster or I want to ride Gobbler Getaway. That's a good dark ride there. <laughs> it's like a little shooting dark ride. Um, anything else about Runaway Railway? I think we kind of, it's funny how a lot of this was, you know, we're talking about Star Wars and stuff, so. I I do want to mention those rumors about, um, the potential overlays that they could possibly do, like a holiday or a Halloween overlay on Runaway Railway. Like, I, someone, I would made a fake piece of concept art for Mickey Minnie's Holiday Runaway Railway, because, I mean, they physically can do it because of all the screens, it's just the only thing that's holding the back is i guess like the different like the physical sets um the only way that i see them 
making that like a reality is just literally just decorating it with Christmas decorations and not changing the storyline. Because if they change the storyline and do like a Christmas thing, then the under, the underwater scene is like with all the physical sets, like the leaves and rocks, th- that's not going to make any sense with like a like a Christmas tree or snow, you know? Yeah, yeah uh, but it, I mean, you could do like a tropical Christmas, right? That is but, true. Yeah, like what, what I'm thinking, Christmas. yeah, like what, what I'm thinking is like they do the ride like normally how they do it now, but just with like Christmas decorations and like just make it all holiday mm-hmm. maybe the car has a little santa hat on the hood i don't know that car is actually really cool now that i think about it <laughs> a little realistically i think that might be for better or worse more plausible for disneyland's version of it yeah mm-hmm. i don't think they do it here but disneyland i could see them doing it because they love doing holiday <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it, it's something that they've traditionally done um and they're getting a purpose-built building. Ooh, that, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so they, it, they have an opportunity to... Customize the sets. Yeah, they can plan ahead for that kind of thing if they want to. Um, where, you know, with replacing GMR, there were as big as that building is, and it is yeah, that bit. surprisingly huge when you actually hollow it out. Um, you're still somewhat constrained by the building is the building right if you're building a custom for this ride building you have the freedom to anticipate things like that and say like okay we're gonna this is gonna be the a mode and the b mode and this is gonna be our holiday overlay and this is where that'll socket into place like you can make those kinds of smart upfront choices um that you're a little more restricted on when you repurpose an existing structure the thing that's weird is that the space they're using for runway railway and disneyland looks smaller than the than the area of gmr so i mean i don't think they're gonna do two stories because that would just be crazy but i mean maybe they'll change the layout just of the ride a little bit like like uh, make it fit within the building Mm -hmm. i mean i don't really know how else they would do that cases where they build the disneyland version and then that one ends up being the one that they clone everywhere else yeah like paris and like with what happened with Tower of Terror and Space Mountain and probably yeah, but the the but the difference is our Tower of Terror is actually better. All right. So, any, is there anything else? Or I think I think we might be ready to wrap up. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that that pretty much covers most things. We bounce around quite a bit, but that yeah, that's just the, that's the nature of a podcast. <laughs> yeah, and just I think it's sort of the nature of talking about theme parks, theme parks. <laughs> oh yeah there's you you talk about a ride and then you talk about a ride that's similar to the ride yeah or um mm-hmm. you know they use the same technology or um you know they opened at similar times so you have like a story that one thing reminds you of another thing an anecdote this it, like it's real easy to kind of flow together um just because theme parks are sort of um they're sort of that like two layer thing to theme parks where the individual ride is an experience of itself and then the day that you spend in the park is an experience layered over top of that right Um, that's why like theme parks versus amusement parks as much as non-theme park people think that there's no difference there is a big difference between the two just because a theme park has that layered experience over top of the individual ride experiences 
-hmm. and an amusement park is a collection of ride experiences, right? Like there isn't really an overarching narrative or theme or anything to it. You're just sort of, it's just sort of a way to put all of these rides in one space. Uh, but like a theme park, it builds together into one bigger experience that you take with you. And I, I, don't know, I, I think that's a, a really important thing to kind of hold on to. Um, when people talk about just sort of like kit bashing rides together into a park, it's like, no, they're, they're supposed to, be, things are supposed to fit together for reasons. <laughs> um, and if you throw that away, it kind of falls apart. And you just end up with a random collection of nonsense, like, uh, like California a adventure or California. Avengers campus is going to be cool. Oh, yeah. gonna be awesome. I'm, oh, I, it, it'll be amazing if they build that e-ticket supposedly yeah uh I, i'm the i'm a little mixed on the spider-man thing like i i love a good game um you know space ranger spin midway mania smuggler um, run any anything with a score attached to it i am all over same um, but you know I, I max max score mib double gun space ranger spin like i'm all about it i love it um but this the with like the web shooter concept and you know you're hitting the little spider bots and like yeah i don't know i'm a a little iffy on the like plot especially especially if you guys have been on ninjago that that ride system is pretty questionable like the the actual technology behind that i did not very much i like the every other dark ride at legoland better than that (laughs) Even though that's the most advanced one. <laughs> I'm finally going to Legoland um, as this episode drops this coming Saturday. So oh, have fun! That. I I love that park. Do I'm not ride. Go actually, fries. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I remember those. Those are really good. Don't ride Flying School unless you want the credit. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, does anyone have anything they want to plug? Jamie, you want to go first? Um. Sure. I, uh, if you mentioned at the, the top of the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Kim Hanley, K-I-M-H-A-N-L-E-Y. Um, I have links. I have a pinned tweet on there that has links to all the different things that I'm involved in. I started a YouTube series on sort of the underlying engineering of show systems. Um, I need to start it back up again after moving and stuff. It kind of got disrupted. Um, but I'd go into like the hardware and the software side of how we build everything that fits around the ride. Um, and it's pretty well received. People seem to be enjoying it, learning quite a bit from it. Um, so definitely go and give that a look-see if you enjoyed this. And um, I hope to start getting more videos out on that soon. So check it out. Very cool. Uh, you you guys can find me uh, at Twitter at theme PK Horizons. I couldn't add the A and the R in there, but um, because it was taken. Uh, you can also theme PK Horizons on Instagram. I have a active Instagram account, and then mainly I focus on YouTube for Theme Park Horizons. I am currently doing a Universal, the Future of Universals, uh, five part series right now, and. Videos are coming along pretty good. Hopefully going to drop some more in the next couple of weeks. You can find me on Twitter at Starport97 and at the YouTube channel Starport97. 
I actually just released a video earlier this week on Tuesday, as I'm editing this actually, all about Six Flags Magic Mountain. My thoughts on the park and my critiques and what I would change. So if you want to hear me talk even more about theme parks, definitely go check that video out. It's up on my YouTube channel, Starport97, right now. I'm actually planning on finally bringing back my flagship series, Theme Park Backlot, which has been on hiatus since April for obvious reasons. The next episode is going to be all about Walt Disney World Resort infrastructure, the resorts, and Disney Springs. Specifically, the changes that have happened since um, Dave made his videos about those things. So expect that within the next several months. I'm not entirely sure when it's going to be out. I just started working on it, so... It's still a ways off, but I do want to actually start making new content for my YouTube channel again, and I really do. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Podcast Acronym. If you like this and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe. Leave us a review and give us five stars. That really helps us out in the algorithm. You can find us on Anchor and all the other usual places. Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Next week on the podcast, it's back to TV shows, and we're actually starting a brand new one. This time, it's Tangled the Series, so you definitely don't want to miss that one. We'll